So we'll pick it up. Verse 16. So while Paul was waiting, we know what he's waiting for now, right? Observation time. He's waiting for Silas and Timothy to come back, join the team. He's waiting in Athens, right? Um, I could be wrong, but I believe this is... Actually, I'm not going to say it. I'm not, I was going to say how far I think Athens was from Berea, but I'm not going to go there. If I don't know it, I'm not going to say it. Um, but it's a distance. He's back down in Athens. We already talked about this in observation time, so we kind of feel the mood of the place. It's very um, intellectual. It's also very trendy. You notice where it says um, down there uh, in verse 21, Athenians and foreigners, everyone who lives in this town, this is all they do. They spend all their time talking and hearing what's new. Social media would have blown up in Athens. People would have been scrolling through stuff all day to see what's the latest, tre- the latest thing. Athens is a very trendy town, all right? They're very into whatever sounds new and exciting. And so he's waiting in this particular kind of place, and his spirit is provoked. His spirit, his guts, his inner man, everything within him. You ever feel like that? You know the feeling when your insides are boiling? Don't, you don't have to tell me the reason why, you know, that guy who cut you off or whatever. Um, but that's the emotion. There's a sense of... Uh, Provocation. Uh, this word is an interesting word, though, before we move on, because it's not just the kind of word where you're really, really angry or Paul's really, really pissed off. That's not, that doesn't do justice to this kind of word. The word provoke, it's the same way um, God was provoked by Israel when they gave themselves to idolatry. I'll read you a verse. It says, um, Psalm 78, 58, it says, They provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. It's that type of jealous anger. You ever have a friend that's seeing an, a, another person and you, you know that person's character is kind of sleazy or whatever, and you just, but your friend keeps saying how much they love them and whatever, and you just, you, you feel or, you guys know what I'm talking about? No? You watch the movie, you're watching the movie and the, the, the character is falling in love with the guy and, and you, we know from other scenes that that guy's a cheat. He's a liar. He doesn't really love you. But then when they're sweet talking and the main character, she's getting all like, and you feel that sense of like, ooh, no, that's this word. There's a sense of like an anger because you want what's better for. That's what's going on in Paul's heart right now. He's seeing all this idolatry, all this worship of other fake little phony gods, but not God's. And he's seeing these people throw themselves at it. And he's getting provoked. You see what's happening? He, why, why? Why is Paul getting provoked? Why is he getting so stirred up? Guys, we see idolatry all day, every day, don't we? Isn't it interesting that this weekend, in our country, we will rave and rant and make all kinds of noise and energy and, and get excited about a game rather than worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords on his day. Doesn't, does that provoke any of us? Does it bother any of us? Is it off at all that the land is filled with people who would just scream at the sight of a celebrity? or a new technology, or something. Why does this bother this witness? Why does this bother Paul? 
because he knows who the one true God is. He knows who's worthy of all that affection, all that worship. He's seen him on the road to Damascus. He's seen the risen Savior. He knows Jesus lives. He knows he's God. He knows he's worthy. And he's in a town, and everybody's clueless. And they're giving themselves to stuff that's not going to last. All these trends, Athens, it's going to be in the trash. And you're wasting your life. You're wasting your time. And Paul is getting provoked. Why? Because a witness has a passion for the glory of the one true God. You ever see someone take credit for something they didn't do? Does that bother you? And they just take it? They're getting all this praise for something they did not do, and you know who did it? This is how we ought to feel. But ten times over, a trillion times over, when people treat things and people and stuff the way they ought to feel affectionate for God. I had to really question my heart this week. Do I truly have a passion for the glory of the one true God? Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's one God. And it ain't any of those little things you're worshiping in Athens. And Paul is getting stirred. You see it? He's provoked. He sees. He saw. He's observing the town. This is good for us to, whenever you're just out and about, like, I'm sure we all enjoy people watching, but really try to see. What do you see? Watch. You know, when you, when you just notice what people are doing, like, what do you see? See, Paul sees what's unseen. He sees past all the beautiful buildings and the great grandeur and all the rich history and all the arts and all the, the beautiful stuff. Athens would have been a fun city. He, he could have waited in Athens and had just a lot of fun waiting. Athens would have, would have been like, oh, let's go here, let's go there, you know. Um, to be stuck in Athens would have been kind of cool. But Paul sees past all that. And he sees a city, he sees a town, he sees a people. And he sees people. And everywhere in this town, everyone's worshiping an idol. Oh, I'm begging that God would touch our eyes to see the world in this way. Because I think so often, I'm so blind. It's just some kids partying. It's just some people karaoke late last night, really late to certain songs that just... They're kind of cute and funny, and, but they're just karaoke. It's just some kids doing some drugs down at the park that I can see they're doing it. It's obvious. It's just another druggie. No. Idolatry. God not being glorified. God not being at the center. God not getting what he rightfully deserves. And it provokes Paul. Does it, prov does it provoke us? That's just the, the devotional question to ask yourself tonight. Exodus 23 says, you shall have no other gods before me. Psalm 31.6, I hate those who, play, who pay regard to worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. This is what we ought to be praying for. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, Paul commends the church. He says, you turn to God from your idols and you serve the living and true God. This is what Paul's not seeing in Athens yet. Happened in Thessalonians. Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, <laughs> Thessaloniki, however we were saying it last week. Um, but in Athens, none of that. 
and he is burning with a passion right now. Oh, Lord, in this place, would you turn people from their idols, get people off their, their, their devices, get people off their, their money, their, their craving for pleasure and, and sex and, and, and whatever it is they think is worthy of it all, drugs, popularity, sports. Just get them off of that, Lord, and get them worshiping the one true God. This is what's going on in Paul's soul. Isaiah 26, verse 8, your name and remembrance is the desire of our soul. Is it? Is God's name and renown? Is Christ being exalted? What burns in your heart? Do you want to see him lifted up across the land? On your street? In your workplace? John the Baptist said, right, he must increase, I must decrease. A witness is passionate about this. Paul is provoked. He's jealous for the glory of God. Lord, help us. This is what a witness is. That's why surfers get offended when people say surfing's not that fun. Because we're just passionate about that. No, it's fun. You're just, we need to pray for you. You know? <laughs> just a, that's a God, though. We know he's better. He's better. Amen? Paul's seen the glory of God in the face of Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, have we? So, this is what he's doing. We, we move on, verse 17. Amidst, now imagine all that emotion, all that anger, all that, uh, and what does he do? He does not go down to the city mill in Athens and grab a sledgehammer and go smashing all the idols. Right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't get signs and pick events and just stick them on the side of the road and say, you're all going to hell. He doesn't do that, right? He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, walk around, walk through Athens and, and, and tisk at people, and when people try to engage him, he just in disgust, be like, oh, take your idol and get away from me. He doesn't do that, right? No. Why? He's moved with compassion, so what does he do? He reasons. The Greek word, he dialogues, he discourses, he takes the time to mingle thought with thought and ponder and sit with people and converse. It takes a lot of compassion to take time to have a conversation. I don't know if you ever thought about that. When people take the time to sit and talk with you, genuinely sit and have a conversation, just know that is very compassionate of them. You know? That's why I have some LDS friends. Those are Mormons. They, they have my phone number, and I'm texting with them, and we're getting ready to get, have another sit down, talk together. I want them to know I care about you and I want to talk with you. I want to hear from you. I'm going to assume you care about me. It's just we're not worshiping the same Jesus. And you're giving whatever false God you think you're worshiping. It's, it's, not, it's not true. But what I need to ask the Lord to give me is compassion to sit down and reason. Compassion to care enough to do my homework, to have a a, a, a real conversation. This is what Paul is doing here. See, a witness is not just passionate about the, the glory of God. It's, he's compassionate for souls, for the lost. Jesus does this best. Matthew 9, he walked and he, among the crowds. He went from city to city, town to town. This is Matthew chapter 9. And he saw the crowds. And it says, to him they were like sheep, harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And this is what it says right after that. Matthew says, and he was filled with compassion. And he got in there. 
Remember, don't just go do evangelism now. Don't just go do Christian things. Don't just go have a, a gospel conversation. Stop. Here's my challenge. Here's my dare. I dare you this week. I dare you to pick a person in your vicinity, in your proximity that you see normatively and you know is not a believer, not a follower of Christ. Just one person. Pick them. And just pray all week. Let me care. Let me care. Let me care. Let me care. Give me compassion. Give me your heart. Just pray that. Don't pray anything else. Just let me care. And the dare's not over. The dare's not over. Then I dare you, if you don't know yet, figure out their name. Let me care about Lily. Let me care about Bob. Let me care about, just let me care. Let me care. I've been praying for uh, Heather, and I've been praying for Samara. Let me care. Let me care. Move me with your heart, God. What we sang tonight, right? Break my heart for what breaks yours. Like, give me your heart. Move me with compassion. This, these are what witnesses, this is who witnesses are. And then when you get their name, then pray, okay, Holy Spirit, I submit and surrender to you. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Just see what happens. I dare you. And I'm sure you'll find yourself in some good conversations, sitting and reasoning. This is what Paul is doing. He's moved by so much compassion because he sees a whole city that has the potential to go to hell. Does that bother us? Does it bother you that, that perhaps there are people right now in your midst? Like see, do you see people without people that don't have Christ? Like, do you see them as people who don't have Christ? Like, do you see them as people who don't have Christ? What is Christ? He's our all in all. He's life. He's righteousness. He's eternal life. So if someone is Christless, if they're not a Christian, if they don't know the love of God, then they don't have love. They don't have life. They don't have hope. They're Epicureans. They're Stoics. Because I guess this is what it is. Might as well make the best of it until we kick the can. Let's go watch the game. That's sad. Because one day, they're going to face God. Romans 14 says, all of us will have to give an account. Guys, there is eternal life. You know it in your soul. God said eternity in the hearts of men. You know this. And this is why our faith is so satisfying. A witness has compassion for the loss. I love that Paul reasons, and he's doing it patiently, respectfully, carefully, compassionately. We've seen Paul do this in many other cities already. And I think it's worthy that Luke repeats it, we repeat it. Does it hurt our hearts? Just ask yourself. Luke 19, 41-42, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, you know what he did? He wept. He wept. Why? It says this. He saw the city. He wept, saying, Would that you, even you, Jerusalem, have known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. I think this is Paul's heart in Athens. Oh, why are you guys all worshiping these things? You've got to be kidding me. Lord, open their eyes. Please. Please. You graciously opened my eyes, Lord. The scales fell from my eyes, and I've seen the Lord. 
He did it for me, not of anything that I've done, right? Paul, he's not boasting in his righteousness. He's like, it's not my religion. God just graced me with this. Can you do it here in Athens? Can you do it in Honolulu? Or whatever city you're from? This is a witness. Passionate for the glory of God. Filled with compassion for the loss. I dare you. I dare you. Third thing it says, so he goes into the synagogue with the Jews, the devout persons, marketplace, every day with those who happen to be there. I like this. I like what Luke is doing. He's saying, okay, and so this is what Paul's doing. He's waiting. Can't twiddle his thumbs no more. He's like, okay, I'm in the city. Idols everywhere. Timothy and Silas are not texting back. Okay, okay, I'm going out. I'm going, I'm going. And he goes out. He goes to the synagogue like he usually does. He gets down there, starts having conversations with churched people. Religious people, sincere people, people that would have been like in here. But then he doesn't just stop it there. He goes into the marketplace. All over the place. Does that sound familiar? Paul writing to Corinthians, all things to all men that it might save some. See, a witness, and I think that Luke is wanting to show the diversity here because a witness wants to win all people to Christ. All people, all people, anyone that's breathing. I have a question for my heart that I was asking myself. Am I as eager to engage in gospel conversations in this room as I am outside of this room? I was thinking about it. Because I can show up at church and get really excited to talk to people about the gospel in here. But what about when I leave? Like when I walk out that door, what happens to me? Does it just turn off? Is that what a witness is? You just, do I just turn off being a husband? Do I just turn off being a dad? Do I just turn off being a man? It's who I am. You don't run away from your identity. It's who you are. So when you're in the marketplace, when we're, at, when we're at home, when we're at the beach, when we're at work, think you're his witness. We are his witness. And oh, we got to be burning with the passion for a passion for the glory of God and compassion for them so much so that whether we're in here or out there, in the synagogue or in the marketplace, this is what Paul's doing. And look, it says, anyone who just happened to be there, that's so cool. Can you just see this man walking around Athens? Just anyone that just happened to be sitting next to him or just in his vicinity. This is why I dared you to note the people who are naturally, normatively in your proximity. Do you think, do you believe this, that God is so sovereign and God is so keen to detail? Because we'll see later in Paul's sermon, he says that. It's in verse 24 to 26. But do you believe that he's so in tune with your life that he purposely puts you by that person, that passerbyer that you always happen to bump into when you take out the trash? You always see that person right there when you're getting your mail or, you know, getting gas. It's always the same cashier, same barista that gives you your drink. They know you by name already. Hey, what's up, Chris? Hey, regular. Yeah, bro, takes that. But do you ever stop to think that that passerbyer might be on purpose? Because Paul thinks like that. Paul believes God is that sovereign. So that's why I dare you. Think of the people that you just normatively, regularly, just so happen to pass, cross paths with. And it's natural. It's easy. It's not hard. Believe and see that that might be God doing something. And they, it's not a coinkadink, guys. It's not just a coincidence. It's God. Do we believe that? Pray for that person. I dare you.
all people everywhere. I, another question I ask myself is, am I as eager to engage in gospel conversations with a rich person versus a poor person? A person that looks like me and talks like me or a person who does not, doesn't look anything like me? An old person or a young person? Paul is talking to anyone that happened to be there. I don't think he's showing favoritism here in Athens. If he's got a minute with a poor guy, if he's got a minute with some professor, he's going down for it. Paul is. Um, James Montgomery Boyce writes in his uh, commentaries about Paul, he says, this guy is just so versatile in his evangelism. He has an ability to connect with all sorts of people. That is a good prayer to pray. God, make us, 1 Corinthians 9, all things to all people that by all means we might save some. I do all for the sake of the gospel. I love this. Let's pray this week. That person's not there on accident. And that person, if they don't know Jesus, that's a soul you know. You know, that passerbyer, one way will pass away. That passerbyer will one way, one day pass away. And I just pray that we'll be a people that are faithful to whatever time span and, and, and role we got. I may not see Heather and Samara next, next week, but I hope that Heather and Samara will get as much of Jesus as they can because I'm there, because I'm a faithful, true witness. It's who we are. Ephesians 5, 15 to 18 says, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise but wise. Make the best use of your time. Why? The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Understand the will of the Lord. What's his will? He wills that none perish. All come to repentance. Know this. Make the best use of our time. Paul writes again to the Colossian church, chapter 4. He says, be watchful. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful. Pray for us. Pray that God would open a door for the word so we could declare the mystery of Christ. This is why I'm in chains. And then he says in verse 5, walk in wisdom, guys, towards outsiders. Make the best use of the time. Paul is waiting, but he's not wasting any time. He's a witness. And he's moved with passion and compassion. I gotta go. I gotta get out of here. I can't just sit in this apartment anymore. Timothy and Silas may not even make it here. I'm going. A church that's full of passion for the glory of God and compassion for the loss is a church that will witness. It's who we are. I gotta be honest and tell you guys, I can't tell you how encouraged I am to have been having rapidly so much more conversations with members in our church who are genuinely trying to evangelize their friends, their family, their coworkers. Like it's so, I'm like, the Spirit of God is doing something in our church. Because you got uncles, aunties, grandmas, grandpas, parents wanting to be biblical about their parenting and evangelize their children. Young men coming up to me saying they sense a call to the ministry. They want to be ministers of the gospel. It's like, what's happening? It's what's happening. We're witnesses. It's who we are. We're growing into who we're called to be. We're the children of God. Yeah, we want to talk about God. Yes, we want to see people come to Christ. I love this stuff. Let's bring this to a close. Verse 18. 
So some of the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers, we talked about them a little bit in observation. He also conversed with them. So now Paul, Luke is going to get a little bit more into, uh, zoom into one of the conversations Paul has in Athens. And then next week, he's going to just, we're gonna, he's going to take it. He's going to preach to these, these people. But notice it says, um, Luke is trying to paint the context. This is a very um, philosophical town, many different worldviews. And then he says, um, they're saying this about Paul. What does Babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Remember I told you the Epicurean Stoics, they don't believe in that stuff. So that's why it makes sense the way they're saying, they, they, are you just a babbler? Talking about all this divinity stuff, foreign divinities. And then someone says, oh yeah, he's even preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. See, people who don't believe in life after death, they don't believe in resurrection. You talk about that kind of stuff to them, they just, they're weird. So, this is what I want us to see in closing. A witness, because if that's who we are, it is what we will do. And when we do it, you'll come into this. A witness is working against many different worldviews. Many. There's many, 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 many out there. What is a worldview? A worldview is a set of beliefs in regards to all the fundamental issues of life. The fundamental questions that everybody wrestles with. It's, who, how, how did I get here? And then, um, who, uh, who am I? And uh, where am I going? What, what's the meaning of life? These are, these, are, these are worldview questions. I still remember the very first time that thought popped into my mind. I was five years old. I'll never forget it. Five years old at Booth Park. I was at soccer practice. We were the Green Hornets. And Stuart, one of my soccer teammates, had a lot of freckles. So much freckles. Um, and our coach was named Coach Scott. And we're all stretching, and he's sitting here. And he's like, Coach Scott. And he's like, yes, Stuart. He's like, what's the meaning of life? And then we're all like looking at Stuart, and then we looked at our coach, and I'll never forget it. Our coach was like, um, yeah. Stuart, well, um, yeah, so, uh, okay, stretching's over, guys. Let's go do some drills. That's exactly what happened. It's just like, he didn't know what to say. I mean, what are you going to say to a bunch of these five-year-olds? And you don't know what our parents teach us, you know? So he's, I think our coach was just trying to get out of that. But I, I'll never forget that question. And he said, Coach, what is the meaning of life? It's the first time I thought about it, like deeply thought about it. See, worldviews, it's a set of beliefs that tries to hit. It's a storyline that tries to answer all those questions. How'd we get here? What's the purpose of all this? Who am I? Where am I going? And truthfully, guys, those are big, big questions. Those are questions that will make a five-year-old just not listen in class. Yeah, why am I here? How did this happen? And I'm not just talking birds and bees. It's like, what's going on? What's the meaning of life? See, this town... For them, it's just entertaining. They, for them, it's just like a new philosophy is like a new pair of shades, and they just all want to try on different shades and see how it looks. But see, Paul, Paul has a worldview too. Paul has a biblical worldview. He has a Christian worldview. He has a storyline that's true. Everyone's trying on everyone's shades looking cool. He's like, oh, you need to put these glasses on. Because... Me, Paul, I know where I can. I know 
who made me. God made me. God made everyone and everything in the beginning. He spoke and it all came into, the, into being. I know who I am. I am a creature created in the image of God and his likeness. And I know what the purpose of life is. To glorify God, enjoy him forever. But there's a problem. I can't do that. Something's wrong here. I'm not enjoying life. I hate life. I'm not giving God glory. I don't even think God exists. That's these worldviews. They belittle God. There's no God. Don't talk about resurrection, Paul. Pfft. Resurrection, Jesus, God. There's no such thing. It's just this life sucks. That's what life is, Paul. No, he knows who he is. And he knows why he's here. And he knows that he was once broken. And he knows that this is why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, his righteousness. And that all who trust in him are redeemed and reborn and restored and fixed. We're fractured and he fixed us. He's the way, the truth. And now Paul knows I am a child of God. You're a creature created in the image of God and his likeness. But you're fractured, Athens. When you die, you will answer to the wrath of God. But I have a solution, and his name is Jesus. Listen to me, Athens, please. We who are Christians, we're children of the living God. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Hawaii is not home. It's a nice pit stop. Hey, don't get me wrong, I love Hawaii. It's a nice pit stop. But this ain't home. I can't. I just started having deeper moments in my life of being homesick for heaven. Like it just started to really touch deeper parts of my soul. Like I one day will see the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and I'll come home where I belong. This is who I am. This is why we're here. And I'm here for a short time. And I know where I'm going. Heaven is my home. God is my home. Paul has a worldview. It's a biblical one. If you're struggling tonight, if you know people who are struggling, really struggling with their worldview, they won't say it in words like that. They're just going to say it in words like, I don't even know why anymore. You sit with someone who's struggling with their life, wanting to pull the plug and things like that. You know, th this is the answer. It's a worldview. It's a biblical Christian worldview. It's the gospel. You tell them. You tell them and you pray. Spirit of God, breathe. But if you are struggling tonight, please hear. Please hear this. Hear the gospel. Hear that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He, this is why you exist. Later, Paul says, you know, um, from one man, he made all the people of the earth and he determined the exact times and places where people meet, live, and he did all this so that we'd reach out for him and find him. He's not far. Athens, you've got to know him. As witnesses of Christ, we must ask the Spirit to rekindle within us a passion for his glory and a, and a compassion for the lost, to see people as they are, and be ready, guys, to engage in, with all sorts of people. You know, I love actually a lot of the brothers in it. I'm so encouraged by John here and the, the particular heart he has for the international. I love it. I love praying with him and him being moved to tears. I love it. I love it. Also, I love 
uh, Morris, Brother Morris, and he, he runs in circles, and he, he gets lunch with people that I would never talk to, you know, just, he has his whole little world here, and, but you know what's crazy is amidst all of whatever their um, achievements are, or however rich or whatever these men are, what Morris cares about most is do they know Christ? I pray with him for these men. And I just, we got to be as witnesses, all sorts, anybody, everybody, anyone that's breathing. And we have to be ready to engage with opposing worldviews. Don't be afraid of the Epicureans and the Stoics and the smarty people that think they're smart. Don't be afraid. They're wrestling with the same questions you and I have. It's just we have the answer. We have the storyline. So if anything, know your Bible and know it well. We are witnesses. We don't do witnessing. Amen? This is who we are. Let's pray and you guys will be dismissed. Father in heaven, we love you. We love that your word is real and true and alive. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for breathing on us. You didn't have to. We don't know why you did it. But you did it for your glory. And you did it out of your goodness. And you did it in love. And we're seeing now. We see you. We see you for who you are. And we want to see more of you. We want to know Christ. That's why we're at Bible study. We want to know Christ and make him known. So, Lord, bless my brothers and sisters and my friends here. And I pray now that they would be your witnesses wherever they are and to whoever is with them. The time is short. Help us, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.